For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, everybody. Um, people bowed, so I guess that means that I'm audible. <clears throat> Really, really good to see, uh, see people. Uh, many of the people, I guess I've kind of seen, well, seen most of the people on the screen visible to me in recent times. The people in the Zendo, many I've not even met, um, few anyway. And anyway, it's good to see people. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, mm. seeing some people face to face next week when we, um, uh, honor uh, Douglas at a potluck, um, which I fully intend to yet. Um, we just had a brief memorial service. Uh, um, I'd like to acknowledge that with the things that we see uh, of this magnitude that, that we are uh, undergoing in our, in our culture these days, and particularly specific groups among us. Um, the kind of talk I'm going to give tonight might seem a little bit like, why are we, uh, why are we spending time with this? And, uh, um, I just, before I give the talk, I just want to acknowledge the fact that I know there are more important things happening, but this is important to our, uh, attending to our own, uh, personal practice. Um, I'm going to talk tonight about the idea of letting go. And uh, I'll try to keep it relatively concise. If I go past about 25 after, I'll probably just stop. Um, this has been come to mind. We just uh, a week ago, we entered the year of the rabbit. Um, a few weeks before that, we uh, celebrated the, our new year. The, or that's the wrong way to put it. Uh, the, the new year of the Julian calendar. Um, but especially with the year of the rabbit, one of the things uh, people do um, uh, in Chinese culture, as I understand it, when they celebrate New Year's, they do a sort of a top to bottom cleaning of their house. I think they do this in Japan too. Um, and so I've been doing my version of this. And I've also, um, there have been an interesting, uh, constellation of circumstances that the more generally have, um, uh, urged me to have the idea of letting go on my mind. And uh, so I'm going to talk about it in a very loose kind of way. Um, and I hope there'll be something of use to people. Um, letting go, letting go. This is a, we hear about, we hear this term often. Uh, yesterday, Taigen discussed a passage from Hongzhu in which uh, uh, the term was used. It's, it's in our, it's in our vocabulary. It's floating around, but um, it occurred to me, it's not really part of the formal, uh, language of Buddhism. I mean, there's nowhere, we have these associated ideas. For example, um, you know, we often hear about things like non-attachment, um, which could have some overlap, some bearing on letting go. We hear about things like generosity, um, 
uh, you know, also sort of involved with, with this idea of letting go. Uh, and excuse the hat, by the way, it's a little chilly here. Um, um, but, but letting go is not part of the formal vocabulary. So I found I, this, this struck me, um, uh, you know, but what are we exactly are we talking about? You know, before we can think about being, say, being generous, letting go, giving something away, we have to have this, something has to happen before that. There has to be a kind of letting go before that. Um, you know, so logically, letting go would be prior to, say, generosity, which very much appears in our sort of formal list. I mean, for example, in the, the uh, parami, say. Um, and on the other hand, you know, we talk about non-attachment, but that's a different thing. Non-attachment is maybe some kind of a state, um, whereas, whereas letting go is a, it's a verb. It's an activity. Um, you know, so where does it fit in? Um, little unclear. I think that there's also a distinction to be made between, you know, things that are, we might say, taken away, um, um, as opposed to something we release, you know, so there's, there's an element of intentionality, um, to it. And, because it's an activity, it can also become a practice. Um, it can become something we do again and again. And, you know, we can talk about it in discussion. I'm not going to make the point now, but I think there's really a way without too much distortion. We could talk about both the, the process of, of Zazen, our fundamental practice and the fruits of that practice. If people will not object to that sort of instrumental language. We can talk about both of them as uh, letting go. Um, so I'm going to talk about this in really mundane personal terms. Um, um, you know, what kind of things we might let go of. Um, and I'm going to talk about apparently different kinds of letting go or, or letting go um, exercised in different domains of our lives. Uh, um, I'm going to talk, if I have, well, the four things I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about things. This is maybe where our minds go first. I'm thinking about activities. I'm thinking about people. And finally, in a, some sense, I'm thinking about selves. And, uh, you know, they are, all these things are sort of different in kind, but they, they share a feature. And, uh, uh, this is what I, what I noticed, uh, in this effort of basically clearing out stuff. Um, and the, 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 the feature that they, they share is that share is they come tied to images. Specifically, they come tied to images of self. And images of self, as you may suspect, are, um, are suspect. You know, they're, um, they can be problematic. They can be distorting. They can be constraining. Um, and in fact, um, you know, I, I, again, this is not, there's not time for it here. I, I think a strong case could be, be made. A lot of Buddhist teachings could be inflected, um, to, to, to read something like, you know, we are, um, the, our big problem is an image of the, of a particular kind of image of the self 
i.e. Um, that there is a self. There's, you know, in this way we talk about it sometimes, you know, and uh, and this is the main thing we have to get over, um, this kind of reification of our own experiences based on this. Um, so letting go, it's not part of the Buddhist language, but it's not not part of the Buddhist language either. And, if, you know, so where does it fit in? If nothing else, it connects to our appetitive nature, our desire to, to have and hold. Um, um, you know, and the appetitive nature, you know, this aspect of need and desire can, as we all know, can very easily morph into the poison of greed, which is one of the main things we we work with. And in speaking about greed, it's really important to to note, and this is something I'd never quite realized in quite the same way I'm thinking about it now before, but um, it's kind of a corollary um, in a, not a, a direct way, but, you know, we, it's a truism that uh, things do not bring happiness. You know, you can have, you can be the wealthiest person in the world. And, you know, we look at some of the wealthiest persons of the world and you, you think, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I don't have to live with the mind of, you know, our former disgraced president or, you know, some of the, the people in, in business. But the corollary of that is that sometimes, you know, people think, well, if I just had this, I'd be happy. The sort of obverse is this idea that, um, Without, you know, if we don't have a lot of stuff, we avoid the problem of greed. Well, this is, uh, this is nonsense. Um, you know, by my own standards and the own, my own desire, frankly, of how I want to live, you know, for a person of my background and class, I have comparatively little. And so people even will just say, well, you just, you just don't seem to be very graspy. You don't seem to be very greedy. These kinds of things, but no, this is not true. I mean, I got I've got a full blown case, and um, and it appears in certain kinds of way ways. And um, um, I first started thinking about this when I was attending to books. Um, I've cleared out hundreds of books. Uh, I don't worry, I've got plenty to read. Um, I I've made what's a dent, um, but. Um, one of the things about these books that I've let go of is that I realized, well, why are they even here? I mean, I have things literally that have been on my shelf for 50 years. You know, I have books I read my first year of college 50 years ago. And, um, you know, it's true that when... You know, there are books that you know you will refer to. There are books that you read and meant something to you. And so there's a tendency to keep them. There are books that you get and uh, you never read. And so they stay there because you, you, you know, you think, you know, someday, someday. And, you know, and someday maybe you will read one. But the truth is that the reason those books try and tend to stay there is because they are attached. You know, I, I had the realization some time ago in the early boom days when we were seeing everybody's backgrounds in the bookshelves, I, I, you know, I had, the, I, it, it became very clear to me. I was not making judgments about other people's books, but 
that in my situation, the books were aspirational, you know, things that, that I would want to know. I think I'd want to know that we bear on the kind of person that I think I want to be. But in other words, they're attached to an image of a, a, a particular self image that I have, you know, in what I've, as we all do, in what I surrounded myself with projected out there and put out there because then it comes back in and, and, and says, yes, look around, you know, Eric Schott, you know, Zan, you're this kind of a guy, you know, you're a guy who reads these books. You're a guy who plays these guitars, et cetera, et cetera. It's a self image. Even when it becomes sort of detached from the reality, um, same thing with my guitars. I've not let go of any of them, but the reality is I can't play them in the same way I used to be able to. And I, I don't anticipate that I will be able to again. Um, but, you know, they've been part of my life since I was a young boy. And, uh, and um, you know, so I've got, they're attached to this notion I have about myself. Um, you know, and of course, all of this is compounded. You know, it's like, uh, I tend to see waste in this very direct way. When I see it, it's like, it's, it's, it's like I'm directly witnessing the despoilation, the despoilation of the earth. So, uh, um, you know, I tend, something's got a little monetary value. Um, uh, you know, such that I think, well, you know, maybe I can sell it somewhere down the road or, or if it's got use value, you know, um, I think, well, I can, you know, I mean, I'll still use this shirt. I'll wear it for more times, but not tonight. It's too funky, you know, so it winds up staying in the closet for like, you know, 20 years or whatever it is. Um, you know, so it's, it's, um, you know, all this stuff sort of supports this graspiness, but it's, but it's a much deeper, deeper problem. Um, You know, and one of the problems with this kind of thing, um, as I mentioned, you know, we we project into the world, in a sense, self. But that self, you know, is shaky at best, right? I mean, as we know. And then we have it reflected back to us, and it gives us a sense of solidity, security, all that kind of stuff. Um but, you know, there's a danger with that, obviously. And, you know, the least of the danger is that when we make these projections, and it's just just in everything we do, um, you know, that it can give, and is partly designed to give um, other people an inaccurate view of who they're dealing with, right? It's like, um, um, how we want to be seen rather than how we are. So there's an element of deception often involved to some degree. Um, you know, even in such simple ways as how we dress in the morning um, um, and so on, we want to be seen in a certain way, not for our, you know, what we actually are. And then the real danger, of course, is the reflexive self-deception. We start to believe our own trips, right? Um, another example, clothing. Really absurd, really absurd. I mean, just a particularly absurd example of that I want to give you of how this stuff can work, you know, as through my own personal lens. I've until very recently, you know, I've had, I had two sort of mid-length, very nice, very expensive leather jackets. 
how I acquired these jackets are coats are lost in the midst of time, but I have them. And, you know, the reality is I wasn't, um, I never had occasion to wear them that much, but they were nice, you know, quote unquote, nice. And, uh, um, you know, I've like looked at them over the years. I was like, well, what, what the heck, Eric, you know, like, you know, you're, you've been a vegetarian before you even got those things, you know, yes, they were dead when you found it, but still it's a little weird. Um, and, um, you know, I remember, I guess it would have been 12 years ago now, um, something like that, having a, a priest meeting with, uh, with Ty Den and, uh, Asian and our former colleague, uh, uh, Titus O'Brien. And, uh, we can, I hope he won't be offended that his name will go out over our waist. Um, and we were talking about, about leather, you know, and we were, we, you know, basically the general conversation was, well, what's going to be this pre-ordination or just after organization, but a uh, ordination, but you know, what's proper, you know, comportment of a priest and, you know, somehow somebody brought leather into the conversation and the appropriateness of wearing it. And, um, and, uh, you know, in the course of this conversation, it came up, well, you know, there are times when it's, you know, it's appropriate, might be appropriate. So what do you do about that? Specifically, you know, um, Asian, who's a, uh, uh, biker, um, you know, pointed out that, you know, le- leathers could be, you know, played an important role culturally and, you know, functionally in that activity. And then, uh, Titus pointed out that, you know, uh, Dogen, uh, point says that, you know, well, if, if there's nothing else, you can make an okay set of leather, you know, in that situation. So there's, in other words, there's no strict rule. There's no hard and fast rule, right? As appropriate as to what is appropriate. So in our practice, it's got to be situational. So on this thin basis, um, I elected apparently to keep these coats for another 12 years. Um, you know, just in case, you know, just in case, you know, I wanted to slip on a pair of sunglasses and, uh, you know, go to some kind of party that I never go to. Right. I mean, all of this, it had nothing to do with anything in the reality of my life. Right. But I was still, it was still sticking. I couldn't, I couldn't do this thing because, you know, it got tied up you know, in certain kinds of self-image, not least of which, you know, I'm not only a priest, you know, I'm still like, there's something that exceeds the boundaries of that definition still operative. So I kept it, but I, I hope people will agree with me. It's truly absurd. And I'm happy to say that the, the quotes are now gone. Uh, activities. Um, I'll, I'll, it won't say much. Uh, I mentioned music. Um, for one thing, my, my, after I became a priest, um, for whatever reasons, my relationship to music, which has always been massively important in my life, really changed. I just don't spend as much time with it anymore. Um, and, um, and I'm, and I've got significant arthritis. So that really hampers things. And, uh, you know, but still I'm, I've got all these, you know, these things hanging on my wall that I, take comfort in looking at. Um, um, but it has, again, has to do with some sort of a, I think with some sort of a 
image I have of myself, how I see myself in the world. And believe me, between some reading problems and, and this, you know, my activities have changed dramatically. I'm spending lots less time with, with all these activities, for better or worse. Okay, the third, the third, and in some ways most challenging, um, I've had to give up on a, there have only been two times in my life when I've had to let go a friendship. Um, um, you know, as opposed to, I mean, I, we've been, I think most of us have been through like various kinds of romantic, uh, uh, breakups and so on, which I'm absolutely atrocious at. I'm, I've never handled those well. And this, you know, so their friendships are similar, but they're also a little different because different parts of ourselves are invested in friendships. And, uh, in this particular situation, it's somebody that I've known, I've, I first met decades ago in another country and, um, and became involved with maybe six years ago and, um, fairly intensively and, um, and so on. But the reality is, uh, despite, you know, all the, uh, love, respect, admiration, uh, uh, that circulates between myself and this woman, uh, in different respects, we, uh, you know, we were on different pages, basically, and that was causing a lot of hurt. Um, and because of the affection, you know, we were both really sort of committed to working through that, but it finally came time to realize just, no, this can't, uh, I mean, just last night, actually, um, after, you know, days of discussion, um, you know, this, this, you know, we, despite our intentions, we bring not happiness and joy to each other, but we bring anxiety and confusion and pain. And, uh, we, we came to a very clear agreement with that and, uh, have decided not to, to be in touch. Um, and it's very, very sad. It winds up, winds up feeling fairly clean in this kind of case, but it was, you know, it's, it's huge. It's hugely sad. That, but that part's okay. What's, what's strange though is that I realized it, that it's been, you know, this kind of, um, affront actually to my, again, images I have of myself. You know, the person who can listen, who will listen infinitely to, um, um, a friend who needs to be listened to. Um, you know, I like to think of myself as, as, as being, you know, very, you know, capacious in terms of, uh, compassion and so on. Um, or even just being able to listen and respond appropriately. And well, you know, there will be situations, um, in which it might certainly has been revealed to me. Um, and maybe it will be revealed to you as well someday that, um, I am much more limited in these areas than I would like to be, um, that I strive to be. And in fact, tend to think of myself as, you know, so, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a reality check, uh, and very useful in this regard, but it's not comfortable. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's again, it's like, you know, I've been to a degree 
governed by um, ways in which I think of myself that, you know, simply are um, no longer operative. Uh, I don't know how to conclude this. You know, we can talk in the discussion about letting go as a part of us. And as I said before, I think the way this all comes together is um, Zazen itself is, as I said, I think can be thought of as a kind of letting go. It's a kind of uh, disenchantment, not in a negative sense, but in the in the sense of being no longer bewitched. Um, I mean, it's the process is no, you know, no to become no longer bewitched by the world or by ourselves, but to to learn to to see things as they are. And I think that the, you know, these more mundane things have actually like, you know, most vessel in medieval Japan, do I need this? Can somebody else have it? You know, the actual process of doing this can be, be very useful, but um, of course what I'm getting at ultimately is, is, uh, is Zazen. Um, I don't know how to conclude this. Uh, I'll just say, you know, one of the things, People I'm looking at on the screen are all a little older. I don't know everybody in the room. Many of you may remember a film from, I think, 42 years ago, um, My Dinner with Andre. Uh, For those of you who have not seen it or, you know, uh, didn't get themselves born for another 15 years or 20 years after it was made, you know, it's basically, it's an unusual film in the sense that it's the entirety of it is the, you know, uh, two, two, two people conversing over dinner. Um, and the only extraneous action to that is when the waiter pops in two or three times. But it's, it's quite an interesting, quirky movie, but there's this very beautiful little bit just at the very, very end where I find it very beautiful anyway. Um, um, where the Andre Gregory figure in the film, played by a man named Andre Gregory, um, is talking about the bewitchment of, um, you know, he, he's, he speaks specifically about his family and he'd been living with, you know, been married for many, many years. And um, this kind of recognition that he, had fallen into this kind of deadness of responding to what he called phantoms, simply images of he had that it had come to encrust the people in his life. And this is what it is responding to. And he lost his capacity to respond directly to, to the South. And then the, uh, the last words that he says is, you know, a baby holds your hand. And suddenly there's a big man lifting off the ground. And then he's gone. Where is that son? And uh, I find this interesting. I mean, it's he he goes, I think in this statement, he's like kind of right up on the edge of of what we think of Shunya. He realizes the, you know, there is no, you know, there's something happening there, but but there's no entity. There's not this kind of of um, solidity and stability. And, but he fails to take the next step. And this is the step that we take in Zazen, which is to see that it's not only the baby, the man, the missing son, 
where, you know, there's a continuity, but there's no solidity. You know, there's this construction. You make a life. Um, where he, where he doesn't quite go is to real, is into saying, you know, to asking, well, what about this person who's positioning themselves as the person who saw this baby, who saw the man, who saw the departure? In other words, he doesn't turn it on himself and, and investigate, um, the, the nature of that which is witnessing. In other words, in this particular instance, it still seems like there's, uh, implicitly this, con- Imputation of a self who is witnessing this, and and that's what Zazen turns around and so to see that that's not true in the way we tend tend to think. So I don't know what more to say. Um, so I'll stop. Um, I hope there's. I hope I got <laughs> got over at least that the subject here is not. My quirky habits, my read about books and, and other things, but, the, but the question of, you know, letting go, you know, in general and, and particularly in Sazen. So I'll just let it go there and, uh, maybe, maybe there'll be something next. Thank you, Yosa. Do you have any comments on Idaho? Um, thank you for a, a delightful talk. Yosan, I always um, find your talks pretty delightful. And I have to say, I think this was the most delightful. Um, thank you. I, I, really, I really enjoy your refreshing honesty and sort of, um, you know, self-searching for, for what's, what's going on with holding on to things. And um, I went through a similar process about a year ago right now, because we moved from a, you know, larger place to a smaller place and, and decided this is, you know, how we're going to do it and having to get rid of, you know, clothing and books and my dead family members, furniture and, you know, things. And, um, and it, it is, it's, it's heart wrenching. I think there's um, I think there's a danger though in um, letting go of something, and then the, the the danger is in creating a new self who isn't that thing that you thought you were. You know, so maybe it's um, maybe letting go doesn't have to be you know kind of a once and for all because then you're then you're starting to create a fixed a fixed view. You know, and and what I. Uh, in my own experience, there, I found that there were things that I just wasn't really ready to let go of yet. Similar thought process of like, I don't do this. I don't have time for this. I, you know, I thought I was this person, but I, but I like to hold on to them just because they remind me of, you know, something that, that I once enjoyed or, or a relationship with, with someone that I still treasure and I don't have them, but I still have, you know, their 18th century table or yeah. So so it's it's hard. It's it's a constant tension, and it's it makes me think of the difference between how we think of things in the Mahayana and how we think of things within Theravada Buddhism as like the extinction of craving. Um, I think you're you're maybe 
you know, maybe, maybe we come to live with our cravings, but let's, let's see them as that and see, we have to, we have to continue to interact with them and stay very close to them and see what, what they're about and what we're about. I definitely agree, Asian, and, um, um, you know, especially, you know, the danger that you point out or the possibility that uh, uh, the pro- in the process you could introduce another, you know, completely made up sense of like, I'm going to be a guy who's, you know, only got 15 things or whatever. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, that is a real danger. And, uh, you know, and, and again, as I, you know, as I tried to point out with this thing, it's like, you know, how much stuff you have has nothing to do with how satisfied you are and how little you have has nothing to do with how graspy or greedy you are. I mean, it follows from that, 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 um, none of this actually has anything directly to do with quantities. I mean, functionally, you know, if you're like, you can't walk in your house because, or whatever, there could be functional things, but it's mainly, it's mainly what's happening in here. I have this. I don't know why I didn't think of it until just some moment, uh, this experience today. Um, my laptop is sitting on top of my box of photographs from my life. And, uh, I've got another box of letters and I'm starting to dip into this stuff. And, um, you know, I intend, I anticipate this to be really, really challenging. Uh, really interesting. But one of the things today, I'm going through these photographs and I found kind of a little stash of letters, postcards, things like that. And I pick up this letter and it was a, it was a, it was a, or a little note really. Um, and it was like, you know, thank you, Eric, you know, for, uh, you know, for the time you spent with me and, you know, you really, you, you, you really, shifted something and I'm, I'm finding my way back to my husband. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm looking at this thing. And it's like, I have no, I, I don't recognize the name. There's no date. I have no idea what this connects to, but, but, you know, it's like, I found myself like putting it back in the box. Why? Because it makes me seem like a great guy. Um, you know, it's so, it's so ridiculously embarrassing. You know, I, I did catch myself or reached back in the box and, uh, and Tiger has something to say. I, I just want to say you really are a great guy. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank that's you. just, that's just, you know, off the top. Um, <laughs> don't hold on to it. Um, but, um, what you're talking about is, kind of crucial to Zen practice, letting go. And I, I want to congratulate, I want to, I want to uh, express my sympathies for losing a relationship and maybe also congratulations for resolving something. Uh, this is all really complicated, but what you're talking about, uh, letting go is also, uh, Dogen talks, to, to go back to the 13th century, talks about Shinjin Datsuraku a lot which is uh, often translated as dropping off body and mind or casting away body and mind, but it's really about letting go. So it is the heart of ours. I I would say that uh, Dogen says somewhere else that that non-thinking or beyond thinking is the essential art of Zazen. I would say that 
letting go is the essential art of uh, art and craft of Zen practice. And your talk tonight is, you know, getting into the nitty gritty, you know, of the things that we hold on to, the things that we let go. And there's no rule about it. You know, I, I, I have some note. You know, I have old notes and pictures and so forth. I've recently moved also, so I got rid of lots of clothes and, you know, a fair number of books. And but I still have, probably have too many. <laughs> um, there's no no right and wrong about that. But this pro- this process of letting go of body mind, letting go of our sense of ourself, is this ongoing aspect of Zen practice. And of course, as you have pointed out, we continue to create new ideas of ourselves in the middle of letting go. So yeah. it's yeah. not like you you get there and it's and you're done. It's it's how we live that not hold, not grasping things. Uh, even if you have things, not, you know, see, acknowledging attachments, but not getting caught by them. Anyway, it's a very subtle art and practice, and I really appreciate your getting into the guts of it and, and the details of it in your talk. So thank you. Thank you, Tegan. Thank you very much, Niao, for your sharing of your process of letting go. And as you were speaking, I was in touch with many, maybe a daily experience of sitting zazen or going through life, which is no other than zazen, and seeing how grasping works and the consequences of it. And it's almost like, you know, I don't want to touch that stove again. And there's a subtle, I would say almost a motivation, but it comes from following uh, the grasping, the wanting something, the creating some idea of who I am and uh, seeing the consequences of that over and over again in more and more ways. So maybe it becomes easier to let go of a friend when you see the consequences of this grasping. Yeah. But the the feeling of it, of seeing that, is sort of like watching myself murder somebody, right? Watching myself uh, kill. You know, it goes to the precepts. So, you know, Zazen is the precepts in some ways. So it's such a deep, deep, deep practice. So I thank you for sharing and opening it up for us. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for the for the observation. Um, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, uh, this idea that in doing so, um, you are killing or letting die certain things. Uh, it's really, that's really interesting because that may have um, ethical implications that I had not been aware of or thought through. But certainly, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about, I mean, again, you know, we have this wealth of, of metaphors and, um, you know, letting go in Zazen. Uh, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, Zazen sort of boils down to preparing to, you know, to die, right? It's, it's let, you know, it's a, this, 
it is, you know, the, when we literally, uh, uh, make an exit from this particular world, um, you know, it is, it is kind of, of the apogee of, of letting go. And, and our practice in part is to, to learn how to do that skillfully. Um, you know, so that when the moment comes, one hopes we'll be able to confront it with a certain kind of lightheartedness and uh, grace, if not even joy. Um, Hi, David. Um, speaking of which, I have a book for you. Um, <laughs> oh, when I see you. Oh, that's just what I need is another book. Thank you so much. You need this one. You definitely yes, need this Yes, one. that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that talk, too, and for the tenderness of it. Um, I relate to it on so many levels. I'm thinking about this word, this strange word, letting go, and how it means at least two different things. I can... I can I can let go of a book in the sense of throwing it away and then not let go of it in the sense of in some other in some way be haunted by it. And it seems that letting go is a kind of accepting the, the the kind of letting go that you're talking about. There's there's that poem by Elizabeth Bishop that I love so much called One Art and it begins the art of losing isn't hard to master. And she, you know, and she, she starts by talking about losing watches and keys and kingdoms and so on. And at the end, it's losing you. It's losing the beloved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the end of the poem, she's not talking about losing things because they disappear, but losing things because I somehow acknowledge and accept their loss, their disappearance, their exit from my life. So it seems somehow, somehow letting go is also a gift. Yes, yes. And you bring up, you know, this whole other aspect, um, this whole other side of things, which I alluded to, but, you know, in the context of a short talk like this couldn't develop. And I'm not sure how it would develop it because there's distinctly, um, you know, there's something very different than the kind of letting go, as I was speaking of it tonight, for example, letting go of this particular friend. Um, where, you know, the whole process was very, very sort of conscious and even kind of, you know, obviously fundamentally based in the heart, thought through and everything. You know, it's a very, very different kind of letting go uh, than the kind of letting go um, I had to do after my mother died, you know, which, um, you know, that was not intentional on my part. Suddenly this loved being was no longer in my life in quite the same way. And there's this different effort that has to be made to, to come to terms. And that is also a kind of letting go, but I, I don't even know how to start to talk about them in the same breath. But thank you for bringing it up because it's very, very important. And uh, now I got to find Elizabeth Bishop for sure. It's such a wonderful poem. Maybe maybe the two letting goes are not different letting goes. Would you like to say more about that? Well, in the sense I don't know. In the sense that in one way what's gonna happen is gonna happen whether I like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and in another sense, I'm not gonna let go until I let go. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, this could also get into this kind of thing, as you point out, you know, some things we're going to let go of, whether we, you know, we're going to let go of it all, 
whether we want to or not. And maybe there's almost sort of a, a Taoist uh, element of like getting in accord with the letting go that we don't want to do, you know, being, being in the, in, in that course, that now, but it's a little different, you know, than I don't need this. Would you like it? You know, that kind of thing. Gosh, it's really nice to see all these, and, and, uh, there are only five, but it's really nice to look at you all. Well, maybe, maybe we're done. Douglas. Oh. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for letting me talk.